0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, December 2nd, we are studying the hymn, The Night Will Soon Be Ending. It's number 337 in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn was written by Jochen Klepper during a tumultuous time in world history. And yet the text speaks of the hope that Christians have in the midst of the darkness, because we know the light of the world, Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Cook. Pastor Cook serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas. Pastor Cook, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: Pastor Cook, as we get started today, let's just talk a little bit about the season of Advent. It's the first season in the church year as we observe it as Christians. What are some themes in the season of Advent that are important for us to keep in mind as Christians, and particularly as we take a look at this hymn today?
1: Sure. The word Advent itself means coming or arrival, usually with the nuance of an important person or thing. And uh, so in the season of Advent, we are waiting for Jesus Christ to return to earth. And I don't remember where I heard it, but uh, I remember somebody saying the best, the perfect Advent would be the one that never makes it to Christian. Um so the idea of being the perfect advent would be the time when Christ would uh if if he would come back during that season. And should uh should Christ tarry in his return for the sake of the elect, uh we'll still celebrate uh his first advent as a babe in Bethlehem uh and move move into the season of Christmas. So they're certainly uh tightly related. Uh, seasons of the church year. Um, But ultimately, um, Advent is not just a we're getting ready for Christmas. Uh, It's much uh, further afield than that, Uh, kind of a bigger picture. Uh, It's a season anticipating uh, the return of Jesus Christ.
0: That what you said about the the perfect advent is the one that doesn't make it all the way to christmas i I'm pretty sure i said- I mentioned that earlier in this series, and i couldn't remember who had told it to me, but I think it was you who told it to me, but you oh, don 't remember I where you heard it don't. I,
1: I don't i i know i didn't no. come up with it, it as um, as my own well i i
0: think i think it's it's very well said and i think it's a very helpful reminder for for advent being more than just pre christmas but actually us as Christians learning to anticipate to long for to look for the return of Christ on the last day, that final coming for which we wait, all the while being prepared for that final coming of Christ by his, his first coming at Christmas, and then, of course, the way he comes now in word and sacrament. When you think about the season of Advent, Pastor Cook, and I've been asking other guests this, what, what are your favorite parts about Advent? What is your favorite Advent hymn?
1: My favorite parts of Advent are, uh, I love the blue pyramids. So I know not every church does blue pyramid; some do purple um, but every church I've ever been to, uh, has just, I don't know. I, I love it. I love the, I love the blue pyramid. So that's kind of the first thing I like those. We, my first parish, they even, uh, decorated the, they had Christmas tree, which, you know, everyone fights about when that's supposed to go up, but they just put it up at the beginning of Advent one and they strung it with, uh, with lights like crazy. And they had two strands, they had a white strand and a blue strand. Hmm. So they, uh, that blue strand just... They lit that up, and then um, shortly before uh, Christmas Eve, they put the Christmas on and added a few extra decor. And then on Christmas, it it went from blue to white, to white and I thought that was uh, brilliant. So, a shout out to Concordia Lutheran Church in Crestbar, South Dakota. Um, but, Fantastic! Uh, yeah, as far as as was- the
0: with the color with the color blue being, and that's a, I think a relatively newer thing within the history of the church. Traditionally, the the color was violet. I think that's what I grew up with. Although, as you mentioned, now the the churches that I've served uh, both had have used blue. What what is the how does the color blue fit into Advent? Why does that why does that work with Advent?
1: So uh, I don't know actually. Oh, I don't know why. I, I've heard it has something to do with hope, but I'm not sure if that's uh, what the connection is. Um, I bow. Um, I thought I this is a some. Somebody who knows more will correct me, but um, blue, you know, Christ, if nothing else, it points us to the sky. You think of things that are blue, the sky is blue. And so that that that's where Christ will come back. So you kind of, in anticipation of his return, well, fix your eyes on like the widow's walk on the ocean, you know, waiting for uh, the husband to come back from time out at sea. We just we gaze upward. Uh, into the blue, but I, I could be entirely just making that up. I don't know if that's
0: the actual reason. I, I, I guess I've always thought of blue as a hopeful color as well. And I, I, I recall in Luther's seal, if he uses the color blue. You've got that large field of blue, and I, I think if, I, if I'm looking at this correctly, Luther's explanation is he talks about the rose being in a sky blue field, symbolizing that a joyful spirit and faith is a beginning of heavenly future joy, which begins now, but is grasped in hope, not yet fully revealed. So, I mean, that that sounds like Advent to me, this idea of hope, looking forward to that heavenly joy that we have, and yet is waiting to be revealed when Christ returns.
1: Yeah, right. And I, I guarantee you will talk to some other pastor during this Advent series who knows the actual answer to that question.
0: There you go. I, I really right.
1: am interested and curious that I just, I I'm not sure what it is and I haven't dug into it.
0: Okay. Well I, that, that kind of took us off course. <laughs> we were talking about Advent and also your, your favorite Advent hymn, Pastor Cook. Yeah,
1: I think it's a come a Come Emmanuel. Um, I, I find myself going back to, to that again and again. It's, it's classic and it's standard. Um, I, uh, otherwise, uh, Come the long-expected Jesus uh, is one that uh, I I think it just captures that crisis coming back theme really well. And then this hymn that we're studying now has uh, rapidly been rising. It was, uh, in my in my mind, is a favorite Advent hymn. It's not one that I remember, I think, is new to this hymnal or maybe our hymnal supplement, 98. Um, but uh, I certainly didn't grow up with it, and I didn't really encounter this hymn until... Uh, you know, a few years into my ministry, and then I started being more intentional about incorporating it into our Advent services. And it's the tune it set to is uh, certainly memorable and, and weds the text of the, of the hymn very well.
0: So this is a relatively new hymn when you look at the, the various hymns that we have in our hymnal, some being you know, thousand, more, more than a thousand years old, some of them going all the way back to, I think, the second century, and of course some of the liturgy going even a little bit farther back than that. So this is, is fairly new. We're looking in the, the 1900s here. And the author, as I mentioned, is—I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly—Jochen Klepper. He's a—he's a, a German. Let's let's talk a little bit about what we know about the author of this hymn and some of that that history that surrounds him and the writing of the the hymn. Sure,
1: Jochen Klepper is—he uh, was himself the son of a Lutheran pastor. Uh, he intended, by everything by the short biography I was able to read, he had intended to read uh, study. And be a pastor himself. So he studied uh, theology. Uh, he eventually dropped out of school for health reasons. And then for, um, well, let's start here. He was born, he was born in 1903. Uh, and uh, he was uh, 34 years old when he wrote this hymn. So he's 37 or around 37, there. Yeah, uh, 30.
0: Well, I can't do math. Anyway, yeah, about 1937, the late 30s. Yeah, yeah.
1: So he, uh, anyway, he wrote the, he wrote the hymn and um, published it, and along the lines, and then kind of during the same time, uh, he was married. Uh, he married a Jewish woman who had two daughters from a previous marriage. Uh, I have no idea what that story is at all. Uh, after they got married. Uh, his wife was baptized. Um, and then one his, I believe his youngest stepdaughter was also baptized Then two years after that in 1940. Um, hmm. and then, uh, and then his, his life ends rather tragically. He's writing this during the rise of the third Reich. Um, and, uh, because his, um, children and wife were Jewish, that became a bit of a problem. And, um, he hoped that their baptism would, uh, make them not disqualified. Um, but they were prejudiced against, and he was told that they would not be granted an exit visa, uh, to Sweden, which is where they were trying to flee. Um, and after that request was denied, uh, again, according to the bi- biography, I read, uh, Jokin and his, uh, wife, and then their youngest daughter, um, all, uh, all tragically committed suicide. Um, his older stepdaughter had, had made it out of the country into England, if I remember correctly, but, um, mm-hmm. so at the, you know, roughly 39, 40 years old, uh, he brought his life to an end on account kind of the horrors of, uh, world war two. Um, and, uh, so sad state of affairs, um, which, you know, what's the takeaway there, um. We, uh, we aren't at rest from our labors until we're at rest from our labors. So the devil is indeed, uh, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. And he, he doesn't, he doesn't stop after you write a beautiful hymn.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's that's true. And I appreciate the way you put that. The devil continues to prowl even after words such as these are penned. I do think that the context of this hymn being written during the rise of the Third Reich and then the what happens with the author and his family, Joachim Klepper, with such a tragic ending, that makes the the words of this hymn and the hope that's contained in this hymn stand out all the more. We talked a little bit about the context of Paul Gerhardt's hymns when we looked at the hymn, O oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You? And he writes many of his hymns during the Thirty Years' War and the aftermath of that. And, and the hope that he is able to put into his hymns, uh, you see something very similar here with with Joachim Klepper and the hope that comes through that he has from Christ even in the midst of such a a terrible time, it it just makes the hymn all the more astounding. Right. Yep. I agree. So in, in terms of this hymn, before we look at individual stanzas and the phrases and scripture passages that stand in the background in, in general, what's the theme of this hymn? What's the the imagery that we're going to encounter in this hymn? What's this hymn doing?
1: Yeah. It's a light darkness, contrasting theme. Uh, so dark, darkness, sin, death, devil. Um, and, uh, and the attendant circumstances of that, um, are as bad as we're experiencing them. We're not wrong. Um, and, um, uh, we're not being overdramatic in the consequences of the broken world in which we live. Uh, and yet it's, uh, to be overcome and conquered and it indeed it, it's the diagnosis on the darkness is terminal, uh, light light is on its way and has broken through already through Jesus Christ. So those are the the major themes you're looking at uh, in this particular hymn.
0: All right. So this is, again, Lutheran service book number 337, The Night Will Soon Be Ending, text by Jochen Klepper. This is stanza one. The night will soon be ending. The dawn cannot be far. Let songs of praise ascending now greet the morning star. All you whom darkness frightens with guilt or grief or pain, God's radiant star now brightens and bids you sing again. That's stanza one of the hymn, The Night Will Soon Be Ending. Okay, Pastor Cook, so the night will soon be ending, and then conversely, the dawn cannot be far. What is the night that we're talking about? What is the night that will be ending soon?
1: Well, uh he talks about the sin, death and darkness. So, um, sin and sadness, then the night will be, uh, all the sorrow that is again, I think I said earlier, the attendant circumstances of living in a broken world. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's the night. If we think of, uh, you know, another hymn, something like onward, Christian soldiers, you know, we're kind of a church militant. Uh, we're fighting, we're working, we're struggling, um, feebly, uh, and yet, uh, so that's the context in which we're working in. But, but that darkness, that sadness and brokenness is not the end of the story. Um, it, uh, it's here for a bit, but, uh, it, it will go away on account of Jesus. So that's, that's the night. It's not a, Obviously, a literal, uh, astronomical feature. Um, it's, uh, a characterization of, uh, this present darkness, uh, as we might read in the book of Ephesians.
0: So the night will soon be ending, the dawn cannot be far. This is thinking about Advent or, or inviting us to consider Advent in terms of longing for the return of Christ on the last day. We'll see how this hymn certainly talks about the coming of Christ at Christmas, but from the outset, we're already thinking about the coming of Christ at the end. Correct. Yep. So where, I mean, where do we see this kind of language in scripture about night coming into an end and dawn being the, the, the time, the, the moment for which we're hoping for?
1: Yeah. My mind immediately went to Psalm 30, uh, verse five, weeping may tarry for the night. Uh, but joy comes at the morning. Um, so we see that, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty early. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was my, that was my first one. And we, we definitely experienced that. We could, um, think further, I suppose, about, uh, any reference to, uh, to sun, moon, stars, and seasons, which we'll get into here, here in a minute. Uh, so those all, otherwise the idea of, is it Psalm 130, uh, how our soul longs for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, mm-hmm. more than watchman, uh, for the morning. Yeah. And so, and then if you step into the gospel of John, you just, there's just this constant theme of, you know, light, uh, darkness, uh, but the, Darkness cannot overcome it. Light is breaking into the world. I am the light of the world. Uh, so there's uh, the themes are are prevalent throughout.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then by the time you get to to the revelation given to Saint John, you have by the end of that book that there's no there's no sun or moon in the in the city because the Lamb is its light, and there is no more no more darkness there. So all these themes of, of light and darkness coming into play. Klepper is introducing them in the first couplet here and he's going to continue with that as this stanza continues he he begins to bring in the idea of singing now so let songs of praise ascending now greet the morning star so so talk about the songs because that continues as well as this the morning star where's where's that coming from
1: it's coming from scripture how's that yes um it's good the, the singing again i think of the psalms uh, and the repeated refrain to, uh, you know, sing, sing to the Lord, a new song. I remember I I've got a Psalter here on my desk that I use with enough regularity. It finally stays open on its own. Um, it's a very tightly bound book, uh, but I went through and I just highlighted with the same orange highlighter, uh, every, uh, reference to the word sing song singing. Etc. And it's it's you just flip through it almost like a stop motion picture book. You know, as a kid, and it's just orange everywhere. Uh, so that's a theme. When you get into that into the New Testament, particularly the epistles, uh, both in Colossians and Ephesians, the Apostle Paul will say, "Greet one another with psalm hymns and spiritual songs, um, and making melody to the Lord." We've got passages from the Song of you could just do an entire study on the use of song through scripture, but the first song in scripture is Moses's song. Um, the song of Moses was a refrain that gets picked up again in Isaiah chapter 12 about the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So uh, the invitation to sing, it's, it's a bold, uh, it's a bold statement again of, of hope. If you think of Paul and Silas, you know, they're singing in, uh, in prison. Uh, it, it's, mm. a, it's a confession, right. Of, uh, things are different. Uh, we, we know it's something greater now that doesn't mean every song is a cheerful one. In fact, even this song, it uh, certainly has a more somber tone, uh, to it. Um, but, uh, but that's the variety that music offers. It gives us a uh, voice to every human experience of emotion. Um, but we make all things subject to Jesus Christ and his hope. And, uh, and so here's this invitation, uh, yep, things are really dark, uh, but let's sing because we have a certain confidence of something greater on the way.
0: Mm-hmm. And so our songs are, are to greet the morning star and it, it, there in, in stanza one morning star is capitalized. It seems like a reference to Christ. Where do we encounter this title for, for our Lord in the scriptures?
1: Uh, it. Very explicitly, third to last verse of the Bible, pretty much, or close to it. Uh, last chapter, Revelation 22, uh, 16 and 17, uh, Jesus is sent to be uh, the morning star explicitly. Um, earlier in Revelation chapter 2, uh, it makes a reference to, uh, again, the morning star is a good thing. And uh, so that's where that reference is coming from. This is probably piggybacking off of the book of Numbers, uh, during one of Balaam's oracles, there's a reference to the scepter of Judah and that a star um, would uh, would arise out of Jacob, indicating uh, salvation and deliverance. So this is where that morning star theme comes from. And for your more well-versed uh, um, Lutheran listeners out there, one of those great Lutheran chorales, old oh, morning star, how fair and bright typically put in the epiphany section, but, uh, just read the words again. It, you can use it any time of year, just fine. So, uh, we use it more than, you know, not just this hymn, it, it shows up elsewhere.
0: That's right. That's right. So the, we're going to greet the morning star with songs. And then this is specifically, this invitation is for those whom darkness frightens with guilt or grief or pain. That invitation to sing is for them because God's radiant star now brightens. So we we keep with this theme of, of darkness and light through this stanza. Take us into this last part of stanza one.
1: Yeah, I, I I appreciate the honesty, like this is who this is for in much the same way that Jesus will say, uh, it is not the, uh, healthy who have need of a physician, but the sick, um, right. Uh, the hope, uh, you know, <laughs> the people who, who are the type of people who hope, um, well, it's usually people who are suffering. And so, um, that's who this is, that's who this is for, uh, all whom darkness uh, frightens. And then specifically, um, the, what is frightening about the dark? You know this isn't just like some horror film um, or a boogeyman type of a thing, but uh, it's a it's a it's a deeper fear, frankly, it's a more serious fear, the fear about what our sins deserve uh, from our Lord um, and many such things besides. So uh, the guilty, um the those who are grieving um any of any pain be it uh you know just circumstances of life so it's very honest to him about who the people of god are they're certainly not uh always the most presentable folks mm.
0: yeah this this line in the stanza i find so appropriate for the season of advent not only because you know the darkness grows literally during the season of Advent days do get darker as you get closer to that. I mean, you know, December 21st, I think is the the solstice when you have the shortest day of the year. And so it is literally darker, but during that time, particularly even with all the celebration that surrounds the month of December in our culture, there is also a great sense of grief for many who have, who have lost a loved one, whose, whose loved ones have died. And so for those very people, there is hope. There, there is Christ, who, who again, Joachim Klepper calls God's radiant star. And I, I, again, I, I love the imagery here, again, particularly for the season of Advent. It's just, it's so fitting. And as you said, very honest. This is the kind of honesty we need in our hymns. Yep. Said
1: well, um, that, uh, just, uh, the piercing light image is, uh, beautiful to me. I think most people can, uh, resonate with that in, in so many, so many different ways, whether it's, uh, someone flipping on a light, you know, when you're sleeping or, um, I, on a couple of occasions, I've been able to go to the Mark Twain cave up in Hannibal, Missouri, and they, they shun everything down. So you get to experience with that, what that complete total darkness is like. And, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. They, they have to prep their tourists, uh, go for it. And, yeah. you know, five seconds in, it's pretty uncomfortable. Um, yeah. and then they, they turn on a single little pocket flashlight and that little light in that deep darkness is, uh, all makes all the difference
0: mm, right so that even in the midst of that darkness you can sing you you might sing again as as this stanza concludes God's radiant star now brightens and bids you sing again let's go ahead and start to to look at stanza two we're about to come up on a break so I'm gonna go ahead and read stanza two of the hymn and then we'll talk about it on the other side again this is the night will soon be ending stanza 2 the one whom angels tended comes near a child to serve thus god the judge offended bears all our sins deserve the guilty need not cower for god has reconciled through his redemptive power all those trust this child that is stanza two of the hymn the night will soon be ending number 337 in lutheran service book and we will talk about that stanza and the rest of the him on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfuo our guest is pastor tim cook this morning we will be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 2nd. We are studying the hymn, The Night Will Soon Be Ending, by Jochen Klepper. It's number 337 in Lutheran Service Book. Our guest this morning is Pastor Tim Cook. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas. So Pastor Cook, prior to the break, we looked at stanza two, we read the text. This one opens, the one whom angels tended comes near, a child to serve. What what is that first line talking about? Yeah, the
1: first one is going to uh, kind of capture the importance and the significance of Christ. Obviously, uh, a baptized and well-educated Christian knows that Jesus is important. Um, but this is even to the outsider. What what kind of uh, person do we have? Oh, you know, just you know, his servants are angel like. He's like the King of Kings. Um, and so that, that's who this is. We have passages in scripture, which maybe we'll get back to, um, where Jesus is said to have been ministered to by angels. Um, we see that in the temptation of Jesus in Mark chapter one. And then again, the, I would argue also a temptation of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, in Luke 22. Um, the, that all uh where angels show up but anyway this this one this high highly uh influential and important individual is coming near uh is coming near as a child um and the purpose for doing that is uh to serve so a couple of themes are important notes this hymn was originally written as a christmas hymn um, it immediately was moved. I don't know that it was ever placed on the Christmas section of any hymnal. Uh, the theme of, um, uh, light, darkness, hope, uh, always kind of bumped it to advent, um, but with that said, uh, this child is, is coming to serve and that is the program of Jesus Christ. As we see in Matthew twenty twenty eight. son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And of course, to give his life as a ransom for many. So uh, there's nobody with more privilege than, than Jesus, uh, and yet he's going to sacrifice all of it for us.
0: Well, and, and so when it, when he mentions Jesus as the one whom angels tended, you, you brought up the occasions within his earthly ministry in the Gospels in which angels quite literally tended to him. I've always thought of this particular line as more of Christ being tended attended if i can say it that way by the angels in heaven think like i mean like isaiah chapter six where where he's there on the throne and and you've got all the seraphim singing holy 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 and that jesus left that glory you know to be made a little while lower than the angels as, as hebrews two quotes from psalm eight to become a servant for us that's the way that i guess i've i've thought about it more In i think in that's a more natural way to take it
1: um I think cuz it really is that is that's a, that's a better more natural way. Uh
0: well I am not saying you're like that I, I think you're right to bring those things out but I guess that's where my mind goes.
1: Yeah, I think nope, that's fine. Um
0: Yes. Good. That's so, good. Okay. So okay so so Christ comes god and and this this the rest of this stanza makes this clear, so Christ comes as the one who who is attended to by angels, yet he comes as a child among us to be our servant, and in this way the hymn continues, thus God, the judge offended, bears all our sins deserve what what how does that add to this stanza what's what's klepper saying
1: well, he's confessing the divinity of christ um He's you're right, God through this child. Um, so what kind of God do we have? Well he's a judge. He's a he's a grieved judge, an offended one. Our sins, our guilt, our shame, our all that stuff matter. Um and uh the service that this child who is attended to by angels, Allah, you know, Isaiah six and Psalm eight, uh, to quote a fabulous co host, uh this, uh the way he serves us is by bearing, uh, the consequence of our sins. Um, he bears the judgment, uh, of God. And, uh, and so now we have a, uh, clear indication of, okay. When Jesus says that he has come to not to be served, but to serve okay, in what ways there's a lot of different ways that you can serve people. Um, but in what way is he going to do it? He tells it for us right there in the text of Scripture, and we have it laid out explicitly here in the hymn. It's uh, through his uh, giving of his life as a ransom for many. Hmm.
0: So God, the judge offended, bears all our sins deserve. And that means, as the hymn continues, that the guilty need not cower. Here we have, we mentioned the guilt of, that comes in darkness in the first stanza. And now those who are guilty before this judge, they do not need to cower. They don't need to be afraid because God has reconciled them. Lots of more, more wonderful scriptural passage, passages, images that we can talk about with this, this part of the text.
1: Yeah, they, um, I've been spending through just my own pastoral ministry a fair amount of time recently, Matthew 25, um, specifically the parable of the talents. And so the master doles out these things and gives them to the uh, servants. And when he comes back, of course, the two have doubled their their talents, but the, the one guy buries it in the ground. And when, when he uh, has to give an account for this, uh, he... He first starts by making, uh, a declaration about the character, uh, of the master. I knew you to be a hard man. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just patently false, right? This, um, the talent is 20 years worth of wages, you know, so the day labor is going to make, you know, let's just make the math easy, $50,000 a year. Um, that's a million dollars. Well. If, if somebody gives you a million dollars, I, I don't think you can call him a hard man, right? Mm. Well, God has given us far more than money. He's given us his son. He's given us eternal life, salvation, the forgiveness of sins, um, and reconciliation. And so we don't need to cower because our God is not, uh, he's not a God who's out, uh, to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son as John three seventeen says. Additionally, uh, for, um, I should going to mention the three-year lectionary, but this will broadcast after that, um, Colossians chapter one, 13 through 20, uh, we learn that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, uh, his body, and he is going to reconcile all things, uh, to himself, uh, through the blood of his cross. Um, and, uh, which means God is the head of the body and he's going to be calling the shots and what types of things should we expect? what types of decisions should we expect from this, uh, head of the body, uh, decisions of reconciliation, hmm. um, which means that God's MO is not to cast out or to remove, but his MO is to reconcile and bring in. Uh, and so, uh, are you, uh, guilty of sin? Sure. Uh, of course you are. Um, but we have this great gospel that, uh, God, the judge offended bears all our guilt deserves. So don't worry, you know, don't worry about, um, you know, trust trust in the graciousness of God. Uh, hmm. And uh, and so there's no need to fear in, in light of uh, God's mercy toward you through Jesus.
0: Hmm. Right, so, and that's where Klepper takes us to, that trust, that faith by the end of stanza two, God is reconciled through his redemptive power all those who trust this child. So salvation comes by grace and then it's through faith as we, to use that Lutheran language.
1: Right. Yep. And, uh, and of course it's, uh, you know, this, this child who will of course uh, accomplish, make peace by the blood of this cross. Yep. So he, he moves it. It's, it's remarkable how many different themes are being pulled in at the same time of these, these short, Short words. So, mm, again, yeah. poetry has this uh, amazing paradoxical ability to uh, expand by contracting, um, yeah. and uh, and we see that at play here in in this particular hymn.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, and this it really is a marvelous example of of poetry in that sense because it does it uses such tight imagery and and uses you know the same themes over and over again, but by that you know small amount of language, it says so much. So let's, let's go ahead and, and look at stanza three now. The earth in sure rotation will soon bring morning bright. So run where God's salvation glows in a stable's light. As old as sin's perversion is mercy's vast design, God brings a new creation, this child its seal and sign. So that's stanza three again of the night will soon be ending. Uh what's what's Klepper saying in the stanza? The earth ensure rotation. He, he's talking about a long time there, I think.
1: Uh well, yeah, I've I understood that to be a um just as you can absolutely count on uh the sun rising and setting. Mm. Uh yeah. so as as uh reliable as that is, so is the reliability that uh the morning, the bright morning, uh, the dawn, um, is, uh, is on its way. And, uh, and so, uh, because that's the case, uh, we have, uh, the following up, you know, kind of exhortation run where God's salvation, uh, glows in a stable's light, I think we should probably should have mentioned this at the beginning him, obviously was a bridge written in German. It's been translated into English. I don't know German uh, hardly at all. I did not look at the German text of the hymn, um, so I don't know how much the tran- how much weight the translator is lifting here. Um, but if uh, but if that running is uh, part of the original text, you've got kind of that. Let's go with haste and see this thing that the angels yeah. have made known to us, um, uh, or that the Lord has made known to us. So they're going to run. And they're gonna to run to God's salvation. And this is the thing that Martin Luther will frequently talk about, which is you need to run to the revealed God. Um, the night is dark. We've got the grief, the sin, the sadness. Uh, we have or the guilt, grief, and pain. Um, and if those are the things you are looking to, to try to make a judgment about whether or not God loves you or what his attitude toward you is, uh, you will remain in that sadness in uh, darkness. But if you run uh, to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, uh, you will find uh, exactly how God wants to be known. The only way God wants to be known by his creation uh, is through the gift of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's the exhortation. Um, you, can, you can run to this thing because it's sure and certain.
0: Hmm. Well, and so this idea of running to God's salvation, it, as you said, it calls to mind the action of the shepherds on Christmas. And uh, again, the imagery used here that it glows in a stable's light, you see the connection to Christmas that, again, is throughout this hymn and, and how fitting it is to then the season of Advent. And, and just for it not to be too, I don't want to use too much of a cliche here, but for us to, to run where God's salvation glows in a stable's light is, as you said, to run to Christ where he has promised to be found. And so that would be us not literally running to a, a stable or only coming to church on Christmas or something like that, but this is us going to those places where Christ has promised to be present, that is, in his word and in his sacraments. We we run to those places because we know that is the place where we will find light in the midst of all this darkness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, I, I love the way you have the you have phrased that. I have tried to point this out whenever I can. Bible study sermons. Um, you know, why are the angels going to hate or why are the shepherds going with haste to uh to Bethlehem? Well, because that's where they were told they could find Jesus. Okay. Um you and I are not uh shepherds uh keeping watch over our flocks by night, uh, in the literal sense. Um God has not promised that we will find. Uh, a savior who has been born unto us today in the stable, but he has promised and he has revealed to us where this same child now grown can be found. And you said it right word in sacrament. It's right there. Um, and mm-hmm. so you can, you can run with uh, much, much bigger and, uh, and you won't be disappointed, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. Um, and to keep harping back on that theme of the earth and sure rotation. Uh, yeah. It's as reliable as sun rising in the east, setting in the west.
0: Hmm. As this stanza continues, then there's a contrast. As old as sin's perversion is mercy's vast design. So you've got sin's perversion being old, but mercy's vast design is, is just as old. And now God is bringing new creation, this child, its seal and sign. What is Klepper inviting us to sing and confess here at the end of stanza three?
1: Yeah, salvation is not God. Being caught flat footed by our sin, and he's trying to like quick come up with a new, uh, oh, I I better do something here. Um, God's uh, salvation, as we read in the book of Ephesians, uh, is at place in Christ before the foundation of the world. Um, And so, if you know, uh, the long story short, the mercy is bigger than the grievance. Um, it's greater than the grievance it's, uh, more sure than the grievance. So that's the first part. Um, and when you're living, uh, here's maybe another analogy. If, uh, if you stub your toe, um, you think about your toe a lot and it's not usually the time you meditate about how well your heart is pumping. Um, uh, and yet your heart is actually pumping and doing what it's supposed to do, even while your toe hurts. When you are living in, uh, the darkness of a broken world, uh, sometimes unless you have uh, a preacher or a community to kind of remind you, uh, Hey, uh, we've got this good thing going. God who loves us and has redeemed us and reconciled us through his son. Um, you you might lose sight of that good saving thing. Uh, if you never kind of get out of the, get out of the darkness. And so the, the design is, it's bigger, um, the, the mercy is is always there. And that shows itself then, or reveals itself. Uh, it says God brings a new creation, uh, the child of seal and sign. You can think of scripture as uh, a one story that moves from creation to recreation or creation to new creation. One of my favorite pictures of this is the temptation of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, where he uh, is... Uh, tempted by, uh, well, the spirit drives him into the wilderness and uh, he is tempted by uh, Satan. And then he is uh, in the presence of animals administered to by angels, which is the story of uh, the fall into sin just flipped on its head. It's the exact opposite. So whereas uh, Genesis 3, you've got Adam and Eve surrounded by angels, then they're tempted and then they're cast out We're driven out into the wilderness Uh, with Christ. We have a new creation, which we see, uh, see all of it in reverse. We are, he's driven into the wilderness first. Then the temptation happens. Unlike Adam and Eve, he does not succumb to that temptation. And now we see a picture of restored creation, God with, uh, or man with the animals. uh, And of course that the angels are ministering to him as well. So think of Christ as kind of that undoing, uh, wherever bad things you've done, it's like the insurance commercial where they just, you know, the car wreck, they just hit the reverse button and you watch it play back and all the glass comes back together into a single window pane. That's, that's what's happening with our lives through Jesus. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's keep going to stanza four of the hymn. Yet nights will bring their sadness and rob our hearts of peace and sin in all its madness around us may increase. But now one star is beaming, whose rays have pierced the night. God comes for our redeeming from sin's oppressive might. Sounds like we've got a lot more honesty going on yes. here in, in stanza four.
1: Yep, more of, uh, more of the same. Um, so, nights to bring the sadness, the us of peace. Again, I'd like to remind the listeners of Colossians uh, chapter one, that God makes peace uh, through the blood of uh, Jesus's cross. Um, and so we've got that, uh, sin is, is mad. As a pastor, I often counsel people, sin is irrational. So don't try to, uh, understand the logic behind it. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. It's not always rational. Um, and, uh, and so that stuff, and it may increase, uh, but the increasing of that is not, uh, an indictment against the mercy's vast design. It's not an indictment against uh, God and what he's up to. Um, it's uh, it's just all the more reason to look forward to that sure and certain promise uh, of the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. Um, now, the text will explicitly, again, and you can't say it too often, uh, we've got... Jesus, right, and he's standing out, um, and his the, the darkness cannot overcome him. He's uh, breaking through all of that by his love, uh, and so he he comes uh, to redeem us. And he's this is a reference, I would imagine, explicitly to uh, Matthew one twenty one. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, and so, as we have here at the end of sins of War, God comes for our yeah. redeemings from sin's oppressive might. And if we could think briefly about sin, uh, oftentimes we will talk about sin as you've got original sin and we have, uh, actual sin, not actual as opposed to like fake, but actual as an activity, um, here sin is just Described as uh, a power that's being exercised over us, um, and so I like to think of uh, the disciple, not disciples, the Israelites in Egypt. Okay, why are they enslaved in Egypt? You can tell the story of Joseph, but ultimately, it, it's not like they're enslaved in Egypt because they're being punished for wrongdoing uh they're just enslaved and so uh, you know it's not necessarily a fault of their own the the slavery is uh inherited <laughs> it's it's original uh if you were and so uh moses is uh is sent by god uh to redeem his people from uh you know they're they're helpless they're enslaved There's somebody is exercising a, a power over them that is greater than they are and so the only solution is a savior. And uh, that's what we have going on here too. Uh, yes, we are guilty of sin. We act stupidly or we fail to act in ways that we should. I'm not denying that is absolutely part and parcel of, of the sin, pic- sin picture that um, Scripture gi- gives us. Um, but Scripture will also speak of sin in this way, as an oppressive might, as a, as a slave uh, driver or slave master. And, uh, so another hymn that does this well is, uh, Rock of Ages, be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. Uh, and so it's that, that acknowledgement, uh, sin is, uh, is far worse than we ever thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see both of those things, the, the guilt of sin and the power of sin in this hymn. We've talked about guilt. We have the power of sin over us, and yet Christ redeems us from both. Let's take a look at the last stanza of the hymn. God dwells with us in darkness and makes the night as day. Yet we resist the brightness and turn from God away. But grace does not forsake us, however far we run. God claims us still as children through Mary's infant son. That's stanza five of the hymn "The Night Will Soon Be Ending" by and Klepper, Pastor Cook. We've got about four minutes to talk about this last fantastic stanza. Give us everything you got.
1: All right, God dwells with us. This is uh, John one, uh, Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, he makes it everything better. And also John one, uh, darkness cannot overcome him. Uh, We resist the brightness. Also, John 1, he came to his own, and his own would not receive him. Uh, We have turned from God away, much like Adam and Eve running from God in uh, the Garden of Eden after their fall into sin. But God, who is uh, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he does not forsake us. He forsook his son on the cross, but us he does not forsake. doesn't matter how far we run at all. Uh, He will take us back. This is reminiscent of the parable of the father and the son. And then, of course, God claims us still as children. So this is a beautiful, you know, when does he do that? Or We've received adoption through Psalms, Galatians 4. Uh, This is strong Trinitarian baptismal language. God calls us by name, as the prophet says. uh, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Um, And so he does... All of this, all of this great work he does, uh, through Jesus Christ, uh, whom we can call infant son of Mary. So as to fit the meter of our, of our hymn text, but, um, this is what God has, this is what God has given us. It reminded me, I had a quote from, uh, Luther. He wrote in a tractate essay called the Babylonian captivity of the church in the section on baptism. He says, thus, you see how rich a Christian is, that is, one who has been baptized. Even if those who have been baptized would, they could not lose their salvation, however much they sinned. And then he goes on to clarify, unless they refuse to believe, for no sin can condemn them, save unbelief alone. Um, So there you have that uh, idea of no matter, you you can't work yourself outside of God's grace. Uh, There's not a sin that kind of, disqualifies you from God's grace. Like he'll never take you back. Um, it's, uh, it's only unbelief that condemns and unbelief means that you're never running to God to receive you. Um, but, uh, everyone who runs back to God, uh, is, uh, for mercy finds that God is willing to, to grant the mercy they desire, uh, and need. So that's what this fifth stanza points to, uh, quite clearly.
0: Yeah, the, the connection you made to the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 and the father's love there for his son who has run away, and yet he's there with his mercy, with his compassion for that son who who thinks he's going to come back as a servant, but the father only wants a son. He wants to claim that that son as his son, and so God does for us. He's claimed us as his own children in holy baptism and Even when we sin, he is ready with his mercy to receive us as his children, and we are his children because of the Son of God, made flesh, born for us at Christmas, Jesus Christ. Pastor Tim Cook is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas, helping us today with hymn number 337 in Lutheran Service Book by Jochen Klepper, The Night Will Soon Be Ending. Pastor Cook, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me on. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this series, or if you'd like to let us know what your favorite Advent hymn is, we want to hear from you. Please send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. Let us know where you're listening. Let us know what your favorite Advent hymn is. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.